Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. We're sitting right now in the beautiful Bolan restaurant in Bangkok. And Bolan was actually awarded as one of the best restaurants in Asia. It got awarded a one Michelin star. And right now, me and Ivana are sitting next to the incredible Bo, Chef Bo, who was also awarded as one of the best female chefs. Uh, and it's an incredible advocate for sustainability um, and supports also small-scale farmers, which is an incredible thing. Um, and which is really interesting for us because me and Ivana didn't know that uh, before, is that the way Bolan started was by realizing that traditional Thai food, as it is, started to die out. So she and her husband Dylan, they decided to bring it back uh, on the table and they opened this amazing restaurant. So last week, uh, me and Ivana were here trying out the food and we were so amazed by the variety of flavors, of how rich it was, all the smells and the different tastes and how, how well they came blended together. Um, and it's quite different to what we're used to knowing as Thai food. I mean, I am European, so for me, <laughs> Thai food is Pad Thai. But uh, I managed to uh, experience some of it here in Bangkok, but it's still quite different. So why is it so that this authenticity in the food is slowly dying out? Why, why are Thai people starting to modify it and letting go of these traditional recipes? Well, traditional recipes or like the real food is always coming with like a lot of flavor work. So it's so much different because everything has to be made by hand. Like you have to pick, you have to pluck and then like the curry paste need to be piled, uh, coconut creams have to be squeezed. So that little things come by and then if you use like industrialized products like canned coconut cream of um, finished paste that you can buy from the supermarket the flavors the um, fragrance everything will be totally different and we just just because we still do everything by hand from start to finish that why it's different <laughs> What is the thing that fascinates you so much about Thai food, aside from it, of course, being part of your culture, of your upbringing? Um, I think it's the food that actually have so many different dimensions in flavors and in textures when I compare it with other food around the world. Like before I cook with Thai food, I do other cuisine. I do like Mediterranean, I do a little bit of Chinese and Spanish and so like Thai is actually have so many dimensions to it and it's really like I think I can't live without eating Thai food <laughs> like if you put me somewhere else in the world yeah like I will I, I probably last like three days without chili so it's really important for me to have Thai food <laughs> How, how difficult was it to convince people to just let go of uh, the level of spiciness they need? Because I assume when you have, uh, especially people who are not from Thailand come, yeah. they sometimes maybe ask. Yeah, well, if, if they definitely know that they can't handle it, I don't mind them like asking for the medium spicy or like low spicy. But the problem is I don't change the level of the dish. I change the dish for them. So they don't have to try that dish, they can try something else. So they miss out on that dish, right. basically, but they, they have some things that suit more their level of spicy. Um, yeah, I, I, I understand that sometimes people can't have that 
spicy and it's I think it's the thing that you get used to it as well. Like the more you eat it, the, the more you can have more. So it takes time as well. <laughs> it's really also interesting that you're, you were born and raised in Bangkok, right? Yeah. But you actually studied cooking and studied Thai food abroad. Yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> uh, because <laughs> back then I tried to find someone who can, or, or like a house or like a grandma who I can go to their place and then be their kitchen slave. And, but back then not too many people are open for like recipe sharing. So and they feel like, oh, you're the new generation. You don't know, you don't know how to eat this. So like they're reluctant to teach me. But then I uh, lucky enough to have uh, Chef David, who based in London back then, <laughs> uh, to take me into his kitchen. Did you see a difference when you came there as how Thai food was prepared and what you were used to here? Um, I'm really surprised how deep he go down into the roots to uh, produce Thai food. In, in that sense, and what he sell, like the food that he sell in his London place is like, Really? You can sell that to like a foreigners? But then they do eat it and it's really normal. So it's just more like a Thai perspective that a foreigner can't eat this and that, but it's not true. And so like, so yeah, he, he I think he did a really, really good job back then. Yeah. Were you intimidated then coming back from London and with that experience to Bangkok to open a very traditional Thai restaurant? Um, not really. Like I feel like it needed. Like personally, I feel like it needed, and the market, the market gap is also screaming out for it as well. So it's like, um, yeah. And I, I like David cooking, but I would like to interpret it sort of differently from him because we have different background. Because he's Australian and he interpret Thai food one way, and because I'm Thai, I learn from him. But then finally, I have my own interpretation to my Thai food as well. Yeah, so like it's quite different interpretations. How long did it take for you to find your own menu and uh, um, We actually have our own, like when we first opened Bolan, we make sure that we don't use any of his recipe to respect him. And then, so it take us roughly nine months, nine months to do all the research. Like because we, we have a properties, we have to like redo the properties. During that time, we travel a lot and then we get inspirations and, um, and then come up with our own recipes and menus. Yeah. So how, do you, how did you make everything? Because everything in your restaurant is orga like 100% organic almost. and sustainable, almost. <laughs> but uh, I assume it was really difficult to find uh, producers and to bring it to that level, but it's really uh, hard yeah. to be sustainable. The first year when we opened, it's almost impossible. Like, you know, being really naive and, you know, never have that, my own place. So I say like, oh, I want 100% organic restaurant and then when you start working finding the suppliers and things like that our organic produce in the restaurant probably like two percent <laughs> back then and it's really hard to find a supplier or the farmers who are willing to send the, um, their produce to Bangkok and back then the logistic is not that great the social media platform is not there so that is a lot harder that you have to drive and pick things up yourself. But to today is a lot better now because our network is stronger and then you have uh, a better logistics 
a system in Thailand as well. So if the farmer doesn't want to go out and send the produce to us, they can call someone and they pick it up and send it to us. So it's a lot easier. Um, but even today, I would say roughly 80%, 90% is organic products. The rest, we're still struggling, like trying to find uh, organic farmers. Yeah, but I would say 99% is sustainable source already. Even it's not organic, but it's sustainable. What did you yeah. learn from uh, interacting with uh, small-scale farmers and going into this whole research process and finding those people that really grow these sustainable products? What did you learn about how food is being treated right now and produced? Yeah, I just learned that the modern food system is basically fucked up. <laughs> Big time. Because uh, they don't care about environment at all, the modern food systems, they just produce and produce and produce. They want to make it so cheap, they want to sell it at the maximum profit and they don't care about the land, the soil, the water or the air. And the price is not even fair for the, the, for the farmers who produce for the big company because the big company doesn't produce it themselves. Yeah, they contract farms with the other farmers and the farmers take all the risks. And if something go wrong, the farmer can't sell back the produce, your problem's not mine. But I'm not the one who grow it. <laughs> I'm just the one who just buy it. So like the whole thing is not really nice, like the modern food system. And then I learned how hard it is, how they have to struggle through that like times the small farmers and how any produce like how difficult it is or how challenged it is for to grow something from the start to finish and come to me so i value my ingredient even more so like and and that will loop me into the waste management and everything else because i understand how hard it is for them to get it and I also uh, understand how they do not understand how to price the products at all. <laughs> you know, you can, like they don't, they don't calculate their times, they don't calculate their whatever, like, and they just like sell it for, let's say, 50 baht a kilo because other people sell it for 50 baht a kilo. But they should not do that. They should calculate their cost properly so that they can set up the price properly. Yeah, and that is like a lacking um, of the understanding for Thai farmers at the moment. Right. I really yeah. like that you said that because I think with you helping them, you're not only helping them personally, but you're also doing two things. Number one, support them on how can they improve themselves, how can they better themselves and do things differently so that they can scale, but also spreading awareness about the importance of local produce. So I think it's very interesting because when we come to your restaurant, uh, we also think about, oh, what we're eating here is truly Thai, not only in recipe, but also in the ingredients. True. That is 100% Thai. <laughs> all, the, all the ingredients that we use in the restaurant is 100% Thai because we want to champion and showcase. A lot of people, when it's come to fire dining, they feel like, oh, you have to use like Japanese beef, you have to use like a French fish. And it's just like, no, no way. Like we have so much good things in Thailand. And I don't, I will not put Japanese like beef in my curry because it's gonna be such a waste. <laughs> and it's gonna be too fatty and oily for my food as well. Yeah, like the fish as well, like, like 
the French fish got really good taste. I didn't, I'm not gonna fight with that. But when you put so much herbs in, like what is the point of doing that? Like, <laughs> and I'm not saying that Thai fish is not good, but Thai fish is built for Thai food. Like it's just meatier, it's like fishier in that sense. So I was wondering because starting a restaurant, it's quite a venture and uh, I assume there were quite a bit of mental challenges, whether it is confidence, doubt, fear. Uh, how did you deal with all of that? Well, when we started the restaurant, we were young, yeah? so we didn't really consider um, a possible challenge. <laughs> so we just head first and drive to it, you know, um, and we got so much energies and and obviously there's things that we, ha we have high hopes and it doesn't go our way. I'm really lucky that I have my husband um, being a partner in the restaurant as well. It's go it can go two ways, but <laughs> in a good way, you got, I got someone to talk to and then fight together. So I think uh, companions or like people who can support you mentally is really important when you come across uh, stress situations. It's always good to take it out, to talk out. I, I don't think it's like keeping it in, into you by yourself <laughs> gonna do any good. Um, but you have to choose who you're gonna talk to. You don't want to talk to the people who keep telling you what to do, but just to listen and can calm you down as well. And I got, um, I actually have my father as a business mentor. Um, he, he, I, because, you know, the first business we invest quite a fair bit of money. In. I asked my dad like that, if we do everything that we can and it doesn't work, what I gonna do? And he's like, you know, if you fuck up, you fuck up. It's part of life. You don't have to be overly, like you can't, you stress and it doesn't help. It doesn't help the situation to be better. It doesn't help the business to be come back. Why stress? Just accept it. Have your mind clear and think what is your next step rather than just being so stressful and drink a lot. That doesn't help. That doesn't make anything better. And that is like my dad like suggestions. <laughs> That's yeah. a good suggestion. Yeah, but then you can't be so not in like in confident and don't do anything, it doesn't work either. But if you do everything that you think is good, you thought out about that already, and it fuck up, it's life. Not everything's gonna be successful. Not everything gonna be fail. It's just part of life, just sleep on. <laughs> better wrong decision than no decision. Exactly, better <laughs> wrong decision than no decisions. Yeah. So that you move, you actually move on and you, you just have to learn from your mistake. And, and I think that is the most important thing, like learn, learn from it and then so you can improvise it, you can use your reasons for your next step. Yeah. It's really impressive also that you started the restaurant with your husband, so I assume you guys spend more or less 24-7 together. <laughs> how, do you, how do you find time for yourself or how do you unwind sometimes? Well, for the first couple of years, a little bit hard because we don't have stuff and then we just put everything. But from the start, we, have, we decide to have one day off, so no restaurant day. 
back then it's really weird because if you have restaurant you open seven day so we are one of the first couple first restaurant that actually do six day a week so that we can actually have one day don't have to deal with anything and then if my husband wants to go to fitness or exercise like he can go his way i can just like you know and then we have a separate day for one day and and that how it's work and then when we grow bigger um it's things change because i have two kids so my times that i gonna be with him i spend with the kids and so he really happy about it <laughs> now yeah so it's like yeah we separate it like this a bit more what do you do personally to uh, get some uh to sort of take care of your mental health, to keep yourself balanced, to... Um, I read the books, like, just like, you know, soap opera type of novel. Love stories and just t take my mind out of it. And I do horse riding. Like, if I'm really stressful and I can't do anything else, I would go horse riding because when I spend my time on the horseback, I don't think about anything else at all. Like, it's just so clear. It's just so like with the horse, otherwise I'm gonna fall down. <laughs> I didn't have that much time to do horse riding like on the routine basis. So that is my, like almost like my spa, like my massage therapy session. Yeah, but then because you exercise as well, you sweat it out, the, the, my, my mind becomes a lot clearer. And the last thing that I, if nothing's help, I just go to the medica uh, meditations sessions, like three day, five day, or ten days, depending on how stressed I am. <laughs> and that, like, that is like, I'm just really have to fight with the state of mind that go really messy, go really crazy because you was sent to the camp, and then all you have to do is be with yourself and your breathing. And you learn that at that situation, there's no point being stressed out because you can't do anything else. <laughs> like you can't, you just can't be stressed because your stress not gonna make anything better. So just take your time, calm yourself down, and then have a clearer mind, and then go back and fight or um, solve the problems or the challenge. I love how you are also advocating for female chefs and you're such a role model when it comes to that what do you think needs to change because it's also it's like every other industry is still quite male dominated so what does uh, what is the thing that has to change to motivate more women to take part in it and to become chefs i think that um female have to be have to have more confidence in themselves because in general they can do if not as uh, good as what guy can do they can do better things <laughs> because we got the female touch so i think a lot of time is is not about whether you can do it or not because you can for sure um, it's about the other noise that tell you that you can't like others people or like your colleagues or your family or your society keep telling you like oh you're a female you can't be a chef like you don't have to listen to that because I believe that um, all female is capable for all different type of jobs. Have you experienced yourself any bias throughout your career? I'm really lucky. I don't just because uh, my first jobs that I land, the executive chef is 
a female chef <laughs> and she's only like 27 when she become an executive chef. The second um, kitchen that I land is he is gay so <laughs> yeah so he's a lot more open on like the genders and my head chef is gay as well so like I've been grow up in like a really gender equal um, kitchen actually yeah but I, I don't like when I actually stand up for artists if like it's got a bully between genders happening in the kitchen I will step in and and try to make it straight <laughs> yeah how do you think we can learn to be more confident um i think you just do it <laughs> jump in do it shows other people that you can do it and the confidence can come through that to your work to your performance as well yeah, because I think they can. They, they, they decide not to do it. And then if you decide not to do it, um, you haven't proved whether you can or you can't. But at the end, I think everybody can. And then you can, look, looking up to the role models is one of the way to, to like boost your confidence as well. But just do it is the better way. Do you have uh, role models yourself? Um, I, my first chef, Amanda Gale, she is like the biggest role model for me to work on this path because at 27 she like the executive chef of the hotel and she stand for she, she stand her ground like whatever she feel like this this is correct she will like jump in and do it straight away um yeah for, for the professional wise like i think she's one of the role models on the environmental or like more organic sustainable wise i have alice water from the from San Fran, who like really fight for it, um, and also Wantana uh, Shiva, who is like the Indian ladies who actually fight for the right of food in India. Right. I really like your attitude. It's very positive, and I really like that you're very resilient and you take no for an answer based on what I hear. Yeah. And uh, I think this is what female born to be: resilience and stay positive. True. true. Yeah. But you know, it's, sometimes it's difficult to be confident when people are vulnerable because I think as human beings we are taught that if you're vulnerable then you are not confident and it's opposite, which is absolutely not true, right? Yeah. What, what would you say about this topic? What do you think about the importance of being vulnerable in order to really become strong and courageous? Yeah, I think being vulnerable is we decide, not them. True. Yeah, like we as a female, we decide whether we're gonna be vulnerable or not. True. And if we, if, and, and no one can tell me like, oh, you can't do this, you're too weak, you are too, um, like, yeah, you're not strong enough to do it. I don't think it's that thought, not our thought. Like, so I feel like no one can tell us what we're gonna be, what we're gonna like. Yeah, so like, yeah. Attitude can really change perspectives. Yeah. Uh, what What do you say? What would you say that? So, if you look at um, chefs, or if you look at the kitchen, usually it's uh, known to be a very messy place where uh, people are running around trying to do different dishes and so on. But uh, when I talked to you and when we visited your kitchen, we saw that it's very calm and everyone is very composed. <laughs> uh, what would you say? How does your attitude, do you think, contribute uh, to the whole environment and how things are done? I think it does impact 
people around you a lot like how how your attitudes how you project yourself so like if you keep positive they will be positive as well if you feel like oh this can't be done that can't be done that your teams will be just like oh, yeah definitely we can't do this so like from like for, to contribute back to the teams we we really like an important part to make them feel like the way we want them to feel as well <laughs> yeah but it's still different I, I assume it's connected also to the Thai culture being quite different to the what we're used to in the Western world yeah. what we see also uh, I mean we don't have uh, any experience in gastronomy but what we see when we watch shows and things like that it's usually a lot of yelling in the kitchen a lot of quite aggressive uh, way to go about it but here uh, the culture seems really really different yeah we are a lot as a culture we are a lot more karma but then I've, my principle is like if we can talk to you nicely there's no point yelling at you because we want to respect everybody human rights and human being as well so why don't you work in a way that I don't have to yell so these cultures has been like nurture within the kitchen as well. I tell them like, I don't want to yell. Don't make me yell. <laughs> so work nicely, work with your brain, you know, like work with your heart. So um, your performance is good and I can talk to you nicely. I don't have to yell at you and you don't have to be yelled at. And th this is like the mutual understandings of what we try to build in the kitchens. Because I don't, I don't like people yelling at me and I don't, I don't feel like they like me yelling at them either. So why don't we have, why don't we come to the mutual agreement that we're gonna work like this rather than in the, you know, health style kitchens. Yeah, but it's also lucky that um, it's not only that female, female doesn't have confidence and things like that, but male also have so much ego as well. Right. And that we, if they're not gonna change that, we can't do anything, yeah? But in Thai cultures, even they, they have the ego, but it's different ego that they have in the Western world as well. So it's a little bit easier to manage, yeah. Going back to what we spoke about resilience, like you're, one doesn't really need to know you to see how ambitious you are. Where do you think that came from? Did you learn it or you think it's something that was embedded in you? Um, <laughs> I, I think one of the things come from the upbringing as well, like with the family background. Um, like, I always, like, I always a little bit maverick when I grow up as well. Like, I don't want to do what people tell me to do. <laughs> I think it's come from the upbringing, it's come from the environment that you are in, the situation that they actually uh, allow you to be resilient as well. Because imagine me, like, in the other cultures that is super duper, like, male dominant. Like, I can't do much either. Yeah, so I think that that is the important part of like uh, how females choose to be in as well. Do you think we can still learn ambition even if we've grown up in a more... In a definitely. I think definitely if you if we given a chance to like if you didn't do it from the young age I think it's in a human nature being ambitious being resilient and 
being confident. I think it's in the nature whether you have to, you just have to tick it properly and it will come out. How did you learn about ambition? Um, I I don't know. I'm probably born in ambition. <laughs> Like personally, like since since young age, I was just like I oh, I have a really clear path of what I want to do. It changed, but when I do it, I like drive head in, like head first and do it. Uh, but if you want to like tell other people how to learn ambition, you have to have a purpose of life first. I think the clear purpose of life of what you'd want to do. And it's not about success with financial success. How, how you, do you define your success? Because these days people define their success with financial like basis. Like, oh, I have to have 3 million euros and then I will call that success. Or I have to be awarded this and that and I have to be the best of... You have to define success that really mean to you personally and not based on other people's awards. Because award, people have to give it to you, yeah? It's not about you. You have to define the success that is all about you. And do not incorporate financial status into your success. And that is the, um, the goal of the life. And then you can be ambitious about it. True. I think it's a lot about the why, why you do what you do, because yeah. uh, if you don't know why you do something, it's very difficult to push for it because exactly. you don't know the direction. What kind of advice would you say, would you give to young people who are really trying to find their why and trying to understand <laughs> how to find themselves? Because I think you have very strong values that you embody. So yeah. I don't Have you heard of Ikigai? Yes. Ikigai is, is a is one of the first foundations if you get lost in life and you don't know what you want to do because Ikikai give you the balance. Ikikai talk about the money that you need to have to survive. But then Ikikai doesn't only talk about the money. So it's like a really good starter if you really get lost in life and you don't know what to do. And whatever you do, my advice is do not put financial status as your first foundation. <laughs> People, old people always say, do something that you love and money will come, and it will. But if you do, you said, it's really funny to say, because I didn't set up this business to maximize the profit. I set this business up so that I can come to the kitchen and cook every day and have enough, and hopefully it's generate enough money for my staff and things that I like to do, like, Either the environmental things, sustainability things on the size of the core business. But maximize the profit is not my like, primary purpose of having a business. And I think, like if you look back in every culture, people sell, like look at the people who sell the noodles store in Thailand. They wake up and do, they, they sell noodles every day. Yeah? And it's that become their livelihood. And people, forget about that people want to get rich and then go for holidays forever and how like and if everybody do that who gonna work so work is work should be fun work should be part of your livelihood work should be something that you wake up and you want to contribute back to the societies and then then money comes so that you can survive but now it's upside down people want to set up a business be rich want to have that profit 
but they didn't feel like they want to wake up and look at this like computers and make it work like it's all upside down true, yeah true i think nowadays we are becoming a bit disconnected from ourselves and our own values because we live in such a fast-paced world where people need to do do it now yeah. and do it fast <laughs> and people want to do so much what would you say about um what would you say about the balance that people currently have between their mental well-being and what they want to do and what makes them happy and what they think they should do as an obligation? Or mm, yeah, you know, a lot of people, even in Thailand, the office or corporate employee, they think about like they want to quit, they want to quit because they want to do this and they never quit. They just go to work every day like a zombie because they don't like what they're doing. So why don't you just quit it? <laughs> and follow your heart. I think it is um, really important that you follow your heart, what your heart tell you, what you really, really want to do. And, and again, follow your heart, but not do not connect it to the financial status. And you, I think people in general will be a lot more happier. And then you can balance your personal life and balance what you want to contribute to the society through your work and still have money yeah just yeah we i think we forget to listen to our hearts yeah what about our uh, well-being i mean especially when you venture out to build something on your own we tend to really put all our energy into it and think that we need to use all the time to just do that and execute. Uh, what do you think uh, needs to change in terms of mindset to make it a bit more healthy when it comes to our mental well-being? Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, the, the, when, the mental well-being, people tend to forget about it as well because I don't feel like the we we the value that we put on as a human being as a person is the value is not quite correct you feel like you put all your uh, mental strength to the jobs because it will make you something um, and then you forget to put the strength onto yourself onto taking care and Without a uh, without a well-being of your mental and physical, you can't work. The the same things like I work so hard in the kitchens and I keep working hard and then my shoulders gonna pain, my knee gonna um, give up on me, my back not gonna stay with me. How long can I continue to do this? Mental thing is like the same thing, and you need like everybody need to like really learn to balance that for their long term because there's no point buying sleeping pills. Why you make so much money and buying sleeping pills? Why make so much money and I have to go see physiotherapy? Like you make money to pay for that? Like this is the question that we, we really have to um, ask ourselves. And I think um, the point where we satisfy is missing as well. We never satisfy. We have to make more. We have to make more and more and more and more. Like if this year we do this much profit, next year it have to be three percent increase. Next year it have to be five percent increase. And if you read like all the economic reviews, you read all the business textbook, they keep making more. 
And like, when is the when when is that point? Like, where is it, and when is it? And is is it possible to make more every? I don't think it's possible to make more every year. I think there's a point that that is like we should be happy with it and leave it be like that, and not not decrease. But you don't have to increase it. Like, I think the mindset of the people with the business for this day is have to be expand. It have to have a growth. It's kind of stable. It have to have a growth. I don't think like where where you're gonna go to, like to where, to when, to how. It's not possible, and to do that is not only not good for your mental health, physical health, but it's also what can the planet offer more. We only have one planet like this, and what what how are we gonna grow to like yeah, and that also have to be part of the mindset of. Especially the new generations who want to do business as well, like and then they come back, connect back to the natures a little bit, and they can find that satisfying point of the financial status, of the balance between uh, the mental, uh, physical strength, and the work that they have to contribute in. True. I really love uh, what you just said about. As always, trying for a further and further growth, but it's never that we really enjoy the ride in between. If we just look at the last End spot, goal. which is never really there. Yeah, you never sit down and it's like, oh, we did this this year, because she's like, no, next year you have to do expand a little bit more and keep running. True. That's very interesting that you say that, and it reminds me a lot about gratitude because nowadays people very rarely stop and. Um, Spend some time to be grateful for what they have, because you always focus on what we want to do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. How, uh, what about gratitude? How do you encompass gratitude in your everyday life? Uh, if you and how well, important it is for you? I think it's with the kids that I have is come by in easier for me, and I I be aware of it a lot more because I explain to the kids every day. <laughs> you know, he they hop in the car to school, and it's like. And they fight for space, and I just like my. You never take bus to school yet. You know how much space in bus you got, and so that having a kid is not a bad thing. So they actually remind us on like a basic thing that we maybe we forget. But then yeah, so um, they actually remind me of what I have this day as well. And I think yeah, people really need to be aware of that of like what we have already and. And show the empath, like show empathies, and also show affections of, and show values of what we have, to not to the objects, but also to the freedoms that we have now, to the people around us, and and I think yeah, people also forget to show that and share the feelings, and because too fast. Too fast pace at the moment, so we we did forget to share our feeling to others people. True, me and Irina were talking a lot about this uh, this past couple of days because, uh, as we know, having in mind that the situation with the COVID 19 virus is spreading quite a lot around the world, people are. Um, there is another narrative besides that because now people are kind of connecting, yeah. and uh, they are showing a lot of empathy and sense of community because. In uh, times of adversity, when things are hard, uh, our human nature is to stick together and be empathic and yeah. share. 
And uh, usually this is very periodical and it only stays in the time of crisis. But very often, as you said, we forget <laughs> about this. Yeah. What do you think um, going forward, once the situation passes, uh, it will eventually, what do you think people can do to really practice these values of empathy, of connecting, of uh, connectivity between oneself and nature and everything that's happening around them? I think people just have to be able to remember. <laughs> Yeah, to to show empathies, to share feelings, to connect with the natures. And I think, as you say, there is a positive side to, uh, come out from this situation as well because they stop us as a human being running forward. They actually put pause on us and just like really learned how to be human, almost relearn how to be human being again. <laughs> yeah. So. I can only hope that we as a humans like breast can learn from these situations like or knows or realize again what once we used to be and then contribute back to the societies as like a human being as a societies again here. Yeah. I was wondering what what do you think uh, this crisis that we're undergoing now with the virus what kind of impact will it have on gastronomy? Um well it's going to have a huge impact on economy so when it's go hand in hand yeah the gastronomy is a luxurious thing it's a pleasure things it's not like a thing that is um well, the good thing of it is people still have to eat but not at that <laughs> like level but it, we still have to eat so the culture still have to go on but I believe it's gonna impact on like instead of using foam texture gels smoke gun it, like we cut out hopefully all the chef cut out all the unnecessary and then come back and actually cook real food once again <laughs> hope I, I can only hope that because that was real and um, and that what will be sustained or be able to be sustained with the force of the nature. Yeah. What do you guys, uh, what is your plan now for the foreseeable months? Yeah, so actually I um, have to protect my staff so I will stop people to come in <laughs> to the restaurant even it's against all the economy's uh, principle so I'm gonna shut down my restaurant at the end of the week and then we're gonna have uh, we're gonna roll out the takeout instead so I'm gonna limit the people the chef who come in to cook with me in the kitchens and then we're gonna hand out or do the takeaway of offer basically so people can just call us place the orders and we send the motorcycle taxi <laughs> and then they can still enjoy uh, good food and I, I really encourage people because this day a lot of people hold onto the food and go to the supermarket and buy all the instant noodles or buy all the canned fish. Well, you have to have healthy body to fight with the virus. The virus only attack people who are not healthy and weak. So if you eat well and you keep yourself like healthy, you have less chance to contract with the virus. Or if you contract with the virus, you have less chance that the body will take it in because um, you're healthy. So you have to eat healthy. And this is why we brought out this plan. So people still can also have the really good organic healthy food 
and keep healthy. And at the same time, so we can still support our farmers who has been supporting us for a long, long time with this lovely organic produce. Um, because we can't tell the tree to stop growing. Yeah. Like you not done fruit yet, maybe wait three months. <laughs> The produce will also we always come out, so and they have to survive. They have to have their li their livelihood as well. So we work as a connector, so that they still can sell the products. My consumer or my clients still have a really good product, and then we gonna prep for you. I really love this. It's a lot about connecting the community and supporting those in need, uh, and really coming together. Yeah, it's not about I'm gonna have instant noodle to eat for six months <laughs> to myself. No one can get it because I get it all from the supermarket. I think that's not gonna work. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, to survive this, we have to do it as a group, as a society, as a community. And we really have to take care of each other. Like, farmers is the best survivor out of this situation. They don't have to send things to me if they don't want to. Because, and they don't have to have money to buy food because they have everything in their farm already. And I think hopefully this time as well, people who are not producer, we are not producer this day, yeah? People who, are, like, people who live in the cities, we, we are the user, we are not a producer anymore. We really have to value and champion those people who have been produced for us so that we can survive. And this is a really good time to think about them again, <laughs> place value on them again and show, um, that, show their respect again. I think people forget about that as, as well. Yeah. This is another example of showing gratitude and solidarity True. to the community. Yeah. It's another reminder. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Do you think that uh, going through now this challenging time and uh, needing to make a shift uh, in how gastronomic businesses are operating, do you think it will also have a shift in how the future will look like with uh, restaurants and fine dining? Um, I can only hope that it changed because I have wanted to be changed for a while now with like uh, with local produce, with organic produce. Um, if this can be a turning point for them to see the different angle, I love to see the change. And I hope that the gastronomical will change as well. And not only through the food, but a lot of different practice like the waste management, the, um, the and the waste management, not only the food waste, but like the packaging waste and everything that's reconnect to the restaurant industry, the food and drinks, um, the bottle that we drink, the beers, the wine of, like they really have to start thinking about it. You know how the virus puts pause on all the production as well? So we have to start reusing, like that once we throw it away, like glass bottles and things like that. And I, I feel I can hope, can only hope that the people in the industry learn, be aware again, and then start um, looking into it a lot at the bigger pictures and taking care of our environment a little bit better as well. You were talking about that too a couple of days ago because there 
are tangible examples now of what it means when people isolate and put themselves out there like the air is starting to get less polluted yes. rivers are clearing up which is an incredible correlation with what sure. we're talking right now with climate change and uh, people were not conscious at all about it and now it took us to get to a point where there is an epidemic sure. to show us okay look what is happening when you actually stop and take a break yeah exactly and then they make a joke on the online platform yeah like if people take climate change as serious as the virus the world gonna be like heaps better in a really short time already but then we've been put it away we've been denying that climate change and that like now we produce so much max this yeah and then you know when the virus stop you're gonna have the landfill full of this max and what you're gonna do you're gonna have a landfill full of like takeaway container what you're gonna do like like you have to think a little like i think people have to think a little bit more like in the futures and visualize it a little bit more. I think this is a good situation for people to be future smart because uh, yeah. people really need to think about the future and have a wake up call. And uh, yeah. the people who can find opportunities in adversity are uh, very blessed because <laughs> that means that you really try to find the best in things and you look for creative ways yeah, to exactly. find something good in something bad. Yeah, yeah. I'll hope that the um, container that I use for takeaway will also wake people up as well because I will use like a normal takeaway like not not this not this possible and I have to go back and pick it up when they finish with it but that will be that will start another conversation with people and let them see another angles of the world as well true what would you say to people who are quite afraid now of this uncertainty of this quite a change of day-to-day -day life? Um, well, if I'm a Buddhist, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a Buddhist, so if it happened, you just have to accept it. Like, you can't really be pan, you, you should be panicked with conscious. Be mindful. Be mindful, yeah. So you should, yeah, that's correct. You should be mindful. But if it happens, it will happen. And in the Buddhism world, you can't change it. This is, this is almost, almost like your destiny. You can protect everything. You can do everything. But if it happens, it will happen. And it's, um, this gets a little bit spiritual as well. And this is how the universe or the world or the nature want it to be. So be precautions, be mindful, but if something happens, accept it with conscious. So yeah, me and Ivan have been talking a lot about the importance of values. And uh, right now, especially because we're going under so much turmoil, we are relying on leaders to give us a bit of this motivation and strength and comfort. So what do you think, what kind of values uh, do leaders need to, to demonstrate uh, in these hard times of adversity? I feel like leaders, either the leader of the country, the leaders of the small business, like they have to, as leaders should be, Think about the greater good <laughs> first, yeah, and then uh, show the strength mentally, 
and also physically, so that people have confidence confidence in their leader. And as long as whatever decision, whatever policies that the leaders want to put down, as long as you think about the greater good, I think that will solve the problems. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Absolutely. We really enjoyed oh, talking to you. Thank you. you.